going for the head. Hey guys, oh my god. So Forrest and I are still here. We were not snapped away. Oh my god, we're still alive here, and we are now at the Avengers Endgame, the Comics Take Special Edition podcast, and we are here to talk about probably the greatest superhero movie of all time, Avengers Endgame. That's true. I feel like even if you're that's not a true. Marvel fan, yeah. you're going to be like, yep, that's the best superhero movie of all yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. I like other movies, but this <laughs> is a good movie. movie just came out a couple yeah. days ago, and this is posting, obviously, a few days later. Hopefully, you've already seen the movie. If you haven't, turn this off. Wait. A- this is a spoiler <laughs> cast. I feel like we, if this audio is red, yes. it says warning on mm-hmm. it. Step away. This is a spoiler cast. Step away from the earbuds. Yeah. We are going to be talking about, you know, plot points, character deaths, uh, and, and then, but more importantly, I think, because this is a, a, typically a comic book podcast, we don't usually talk about movies, I'll be honest, but... We're here today not only to talk about the movie and our a love of this fandom, but how this movie connects to the comics. And it does in a lot of obvious ways, obviously like Infinity Gauntlet, the comic graphic novel that's now purchasable yes. everywhere, but also yes. all the little subtle details they put into it. They put a lot in, I think, for comic fans like us and like you. Yes. So if you're still here, spoilers, Forrest, what did you think of Avengers Endgame? I thought that it was fantastic. Almost singularly fantastic. One point um, two billion dollars, fantastic. Yeah, one. And also, <laughs> I kind of feel like one point two billion dollars. What does my opinion matter? Yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it is the kind of movie that makes everyone feel like their opinion matters for sure, or that their satisfaction matters. And I, there's a lot of what people would call fan service and stuff in it, but at the same time, it felt so personable and it felt so realistic and realized and worthwhile. Um, I'm graduating from graduate school with a master's degree in two weeks. Congratulations. Thank you. And I feel like the 11 years of payoff from this <laughs> is better. Uh-huh. Like, I'm kind of like, oh, a piece of paper. But that movie, though, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, um, I just, there's so much stuff. And when you go and you see it early and you're with all these people that are literally screaming um, when Peter came out of the portal at, uh, towards the, in the third act, the dude next to me, like, clenched so hard that the entire seat, like, ricocheted upward. Wow. Um, just like, and everyone was like, ah, <laughs> you know, like yeah, yeah. all that stuff. It, and that's how I was feeling too. Um, just the, the sheer hype of it is incalculable. The movie accomplished a lot. And I mean, there were a lot of checkboxes to check off and I think it checked nearly every one. I think so too. Yeah. Um, I think that they did everything that they needed to do. It's interesting that it was so final. But yeah. it also did a really great job, as I think we're going to talk about, of setting up a chessboard for the next phase. Right. Yeah, like, they approached it as almost closing the door on specific characters, of course, but also this phase of their films. The first 11 years of their films have all been leading to this because, as you might know, the Infinity Stones have been popping up in a lot of movies the last 11 years. Right. And now they are finally coming to their end of their story, these Infinity Stones. So it's like closing the door on that, but at the same time, it's 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 introducing new things, but not overshadowing the ending for a lot of different things as well. Right. Which I think is is it's it's doing it very respectfully. I think so. Yeah, I I felt that it was respectful to the medium that it's coming out of. I felt that it was respectful to the differences that it has made from the comics. I felt that it was respectful to the characters and also to the actors, especially if you look at that end credit scene where they're signing their own names, kind of like how you would ask a creator to sign a copy of a comic book. Well, that's a good, that's a good connection. Yeah. Um, Do people cheer when Black Widow was on stage or screen? At the end, in the credits, um, they did not. Neither did they for mine. And Lisa, my was, girlfriend, was upset it was about somber, that. Somber, I guess. People cheered for Tony Stark, but they yeah. didn't cheer for Black Widow in my theater. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess they didn't for us either. Um, but it, that one just felt so so somber. Right. I don't know. Um, 
what if you if you could list off like three to five of the biggest moments for you? Oh my gosh, what were moments. they? Because because obviously we could talk about it forever. <laughs> yeah, there. But it's a three-hour movie, folks. So right, a lot yeah. happens in that movie, and it's packed um, with character moments, uh, blockbuster like you know big graphic moments, uh, villain yeah. moments. Um, obviously, I think everyone's it, within everyone's top three would mm-hmm. be. Uh, Captain America grabbing Mjolnir and showing uh, us all that he could have picked it up the whole time, but didn't because he wanted to yeah. save Thor's ego in Avengers Age. Uh, was it Age of Ultron? It was. Yes. Yes. We all remember that scene where they're all like drinking and partying yes. and, and no one could lift it, but then it sort of moved when Cap grabbed it. Yeah. That yeah. that was a huge payoff, that scene. And the immediate uh, Thor laying on the ground and going, I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Like... That was very well done. Very well yep. done. And it was probably the best fight sequence in the whole movie, I'd say. Yes. the uh, I thought the part where he like knocks Thanos under the chin with the hammer and then hits him to the ground yeah. and calls down the lightning on him. That, I was like, how, how come Thanos, how come Thor don't do stuff that cool? Yeah. You know, like, I kept wondering, how is Thanos so like freaking indestructible? Yeah. But also Cap, I've rocked him. He did. For a minute there, and that was very cool. I was reading some message boards the other day, and I noticed someone had pointed out um, in when they first met uh, Captain America and Thor, they blew all those trees down by smashing the hammer against the shield. Mm. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a, you know, that scene is very quick. So in a blinker, blinker, you'll miss it. He actually slams the hammer against his own shield, his own shield in a moment and blasts Thanos back. He It's a callback to the first one. That's very cool. Yeah, and there's just so much in that fight scene that where we've seen that stuff in comics before, so it was like hell yeah, yeah. it's it's real. Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, definitely any, my any top other moment. specific. I loved it when or? Scarlet. It's just the same sort of sequence. Scarlet Witch blows Thanos away. Also, Captain Marvel. I love that they both. It, it, there's a, it's subtly done, but you can tell that if Scarlet Witch and Thanos or Captain Marvel and Thanos were in a room together with no no outside influences. These women would kick his ass ten times over. He was yep. so outmatched, but because of either uh, help from his army or because he he used a little bit of trickery with the Infinity Stones, he was able to be- beat them both. Yep. And I, I just love that. I love that little the, the nuanced detail, and it, it reminds us that you know Captain America is a human being, but there are characters on the Avengers that are way more powerful than you can ever imagine. Which I think the next phase will be about probably. I think that that's very likely. I saw a thing that was like a picture of the Justice League, and it was like, you know who would never have a problem with Thanos? Uh-huh. And someone replied and said, Superman has no protection against magic. They have a whole dark Justice League for this purpose. Right, right. <laughs> right? Like, But the Avengers, Scarlet Witch summarily dismantled him. Right. Right. That got yeah. me jazzed for her show, honestly. Uh, the yes. WandaVision that they've uh, Disney Plus has um, sort of talked about, Yes. Not really that interested until I saw her kick ass. Yep. Um, what are your top top moments? I um, try to shy away from talking about how much I love Spider-Man over on the mainline comics podcast because if it was Dave talking about comics and Forrest talking about Spider-Man all the time, <laughs> it would get kind of boring. Yeah. But holy shit, the payoff to Tony and Pete's arc mm. in this movie is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like I have to give two of my top moments to different things related to Spidey. Um, early in the movie, when Tony says, "I lost the kid," yep, and you can feel just kind of the weight and the emotional heartbreak there. And then Cap follows up and says, "We lost him." Mm-hmm. I thought that that was really indicative of both of their characters and the arc that they both follow throughout the movie. And then when Pete comes back um, in the final scene in the third act when he hugs Tony or Tony hugs him, however you want to look at that. Um, Just kind of a full circle, like at the end of Infinity War, he's going away, but this is him coming back. It just, oh, I could get choked up right now. Yeah. Thinking about it. Um, And (laughs) there was a guy sitting to the left of me who throughout the movie, he ate an entire pack of gum. (laughs) He ate it? He ate it. Oh, so he had a pack of spearmint gum, and he'd flip it open, and he'd pull a stick out, and he'd chew it up, 
for like 20 minutes and then you would swallow it. Oh, God. That's and then not you good. Would do it, and then you would do it again. Mm-hmm. And slowly and slowly and slowly, I was getting more annoyed with this dude. Mm. But then like all of that stuff like from Falcon saying on your left onward started happening. Yeah. And I forgot gum existed <laughs> in the world. Like that is a high in movies that I have never seen in my entire life. Yep. Right. That entire scene is fantastic. Um, I, I just, it was, it was really, really great. And I think I would have to give both of my top two to Peter centric stuff. The Rooster brothers have said if they were ever to do another event or a big movie uh, in the Marvel universe, they would do secret wars. And that, final battle scene is proof enough that they can handle that that they could do it yeah seeing ant-man uppercut one of those freaking whale alien ships that we saw in avengers one yes was one of the the coolest leviathan thing yeah Yeah. like that was just like the pinnacle of like this is how far we've come it went from those things were like really hard to take down by the uh at the time avengers to one man can literally uppercut the thing and end it yeah. I mean, even Hulk in Avengers 1, it took him a little bit to kill the thing. I think yes. he... Didn't he uppercut one, though? You think he flew up and uppercut one at one point? He, like, flies through its mouth or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the Russos did a great job of that, like, showing the... In comics, there's a problem with power creep. Mm-hmm. But I think that they did a great job with that, where a lot of people's least favorite part of Black Panther is the fight at the end. Yeah. And they just did that fight, but better at the end of infinity war right right like it's it's literally the fight from black panther right um and this is just the new york fight but times 10 right um and i thought that they did a really fantastic job with that i thought it was great yeah the way they use spider-man to sort of um link up with all the other characters when he's carrying the gauntlet was mm-hmm. was was a good way to kind of bring every character into focus but also give them a little bit of a purpose yes I thought they did a great job kind of shifting the perspective and the flow and it felt very comic booky where like suddenly a page will flip to a different person in the fight. Right. Right. Or a different panel will zoom in on Cap punching someone in the stomach and then you'll cut to Strange and stuff. And the movie did the same thing really well. Like how we cut to Star-Lord and he's about to get killed and then Gamora saves him. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And they did a great job of saying like all this is happening at once, even if your eyes can't capture it all at once i thought they did a good job and i mean so obviously the movie did really well with the action but i feel like with characters particularly the the main avenger lineup that we know and love from the first film i think every single one was established very well in the first half where we we get a good understanding of what they believe what they are what they care about and where they are now and how they've grown because Mm -hmm. The movie does jump ahead five years, so there's a good... That's like a really easy way to sort of jump ahead and see development uh, rather than having to see it go along live, right? Sure. So, like, the biggest one, obviously, is Hulk, who, since we've known him from the beginning, has had a real issue with his two personalities, and now they're one. Um, Meanwhile... Mm. So, he's, like, at peace. Meanwhile... He's like a Buddhist monk. I love how he's like so he's like kind to everyone. Like he gives Ant-Man the two tacos at one point. The tacos, yeah. Meanwhile, Scarlet Witch, or sorry, sorry, uh, Black Widow is Joe. She is in hell in a sense. Like she she's yes. trying to keep the world safe. Uh obviously she's still racked with guilt and and frustration by getting beaten by Thanos. She's probably the character that is I don't know. She's the one working hardest, I feel like, at the at the beginning. Because mm-hmm. Tony yeah, no, and... I, they he, did a great job showing that she's kind of bearing the responsibility for all of this, even though she doesn't have to. I'm almost angry at Cap at that point, because he seems to be kind of like loafing about almost. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, I think, again, it, it speaks to how people change. Right. Right? Um, I thought they, they did a good job. And it, it, those... The setup that they did at the beginning of the movie with all of those scenes pays off so well by the end. Right. Um, there were definitely things I didn't like. Like what? In the movie. Um, well, okay, this is kind of outside of the movie, but within the movie as well. One thing that really bothers me, really rubs me the wrong way, is that in the support group at the beginning of the movie, one of the Russo brothers is cast as the first on-screen 
gay character mm-hmm. in a Marvel movie. Um, he's he's talking about how he was on a date with another male and um, or another guy, and he says like he cried before the appetizer. I cried during dessert and stuff. Um, and th- they're kind of getting applause and accolade and stuff for finally getting representation onto the screen. Mm-hmm. It bothers me one that they cast themselves in that role because um, they could have done that character work with someone that is eager to do it, like Tessa Thompson or Brie Larson or any of the other characters who are part of the central plot, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And also that the story has become first on-screen Marvel gay character and stuff and first LGBTQ representation when there was a plot line scripted and I think even footage for Thor Ragnarok where Valkyrie was either a lesbian or bisexual. Mm -hmm. And so you're... I don't want to put that on the Russos. Like, I don't think it was the Russos' editorial decision to cut that from Ragnarok. Right. But it's weird to me... Um, to celebrate that. And as a bisexual or queer identifying person myself, it feels like a faux accolade or a faux presentation or celebration, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, I thought that the all-female battle scene at the end of the movie was awesome. That was some of the hypest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. Captain Marvel picking up the gauntlet and going out and stuff. But then there was, like, a lot of this, like, dad bod, quote, dad bod, fat shaming stuff about Thor. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Early on. And, yeah. yeah. And it's like, oh, he's fat. That's funny. You know? Or, like, it's funny when people are down on their luck and then they get out of shape. Right. And being, a- and being out of shape is the ultimate external visualization of bad. Right. Uh-huh. Or sad. Or whatever. And it... it to me, it's like if you're going to be considered about your approach to LGBTQ representation and female representation, why aren't you being kind of ubiquitous in that approach? Mm-hmm. Right? It's like, well, we got two out of three. The body shaming stuff is fine. Whatever. The joke is that Thor is normally shredded. Right. Uh, I guess. I don't know. I feel like they could have done that. He could have just been drinking a ton. He could have been wearing, like, a muscle tee and wearing a backwards baseball hat and just acting like a total slovenly bro (laughs) or something, Uh right? Like, which are choices that he's making to, like, his aesthetic and stuff. Or just even show him eating a lot. He was eating something. I can't remember what it was. That was, like, candy or something. Yeah, he's eating a bunch of stuff throughout um, rather than, like, this – it's funny to zoom in on his stomach pressing against Rocket's face. Right. That scene, you know, I was just thinking, thought, uh, not Thanos, Thor is very much like an egomaniac, right? Sure. And it has been. Obviously, he's yes. been knocked down a zillion pegs <laughs> since Ragnarok, the film. But <clears throat> so maybe that, that there's a there's something to that, too. That they're, uh, Not necessarily fat shaming, but shaming his ego. You know what I mean? Like his narcissism yeah i think that's the intent but it could be taken the wrong way right mm-hmm. right no those yeah. are good those are good good uh, points about you know what went wrong representation wise with a yeah. film that's nearly perfect <laughs> yeah it's it's hard right yeah i loved it so much um the only other thing i would say is like i watched infinity war afterwards yeah and the Black Order, Proxima, who's one of my favorite characters from kind of the cosmic stuff in the comics, she has a lot of speaking roles. Right. And so does Corvus. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the most that you really get from them in Endgame is, like, an aerial view of the battleground at the end. Right. And I feel like, admittedly or arguably, those aren't the same characters because they're from the Splinter timeline. That's true. Yeah, younger. But they don't get a payoff to their storyline, right? Right. It's like well, they were main characters or main antagonists in the first part of this, but then all of a sudden it's not really. This film, I don't know. It's very much not like part two. It's just its own thing. I 
feel that it is a part two. Because I feel like the first one, the main goal of that film, if the filmmakers were setting up goals, was to establish what needed to be avenging, right? <laughs> like what mm-hmm. what needed to be smited. And so in two, like Thanos' arc is already over. We In, in Endgame, in the, yeah. almost the very beginning, <laughs> they freaking kill the guy. Ten, ten minutes in, which I, I was saying to you earlier, like, I had read or seen some spoilers prior, but yeah. like when that happened, when Thor cut his head off, I was like, maybe everything I read and saw is not true. After seeing Endgame, I think it's possibly like three times better than Infinity War. In part mm, because, interesting. and I'm saying this because I feel like with Infinity War, there was one big surprise, Gamora dying. With Endgame, I swear to God, there's like 12 moments where I'm like, what? Yeah, now this is happening? True. That's true, and that's not that's not to say like oh it's they did a better job of uh, hiding spoilers because I didn't really read spoilers for Infinity War. It's more like just, they just came up with stuff that really shocked you. Like I never would have thought uh, the plot would have moved forward five years. I just did not see that coming. Yeah, I never expected the Cap versus Cap fight. <laughs> no, I didn't either. No, nope. I love that too because that's like straight out of comics where a hero fights yes. himself. Yep, or herself. Yep. Um, um, speaking of comics. Yeah. Oh, wait. Can I talk about what I didn't like? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, before we move on. Uh, yeah. I thought that it was a little slow in the first half. Mm. and mm-hmm. But as a super duper fan who's obviously seen every one of these movies a couple times, there's a lot of payoff emotionally with the characters. But I kept thinking when I was writing the review for APTComics.com, like, if you were a casual fan, and I know there are a lot of casual fans who went to see this, or people who haven't seen all the films at least. Yes. I can imagine their frustration with the slowness because a lot of the um, payoff or the, a lot of the, what made the first half so good is like seeing these characters grow and change and how they've changed. And if you haven't been keeping track or if you're just jumping in because everyone's seeing Avengers Endgame, I could totally see you being like, God, is this movie ever going to end? <laughs> and I yeah. feel like it's it, obviously it's an impossible thing for the filmmakers to pull off because you can't you can't appeal to everyone. Right. And everyone is kind of interested in the $1.2 billion movie. But it's just like comics, too. Like, if someone only reads issue three and missed the first two because whatever, it's their own fault for not seeing the reading the first two issues, just like it's their own fault for not watching every Iron Man movie, every Thor movie. So it's kind of like a, you know, uh, it's their own fault. But at the same time, though, I can see how that was a bit of an issue filmmaking wise. Um, something else that's just like a personal gripe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Doctor Strange and his magic wielding friends, they can all teleport. Okay. And they all show up at the end and they help bring the entire army to the, the battlefield. Yes. But seriously, like, can't he just open a portal and like cut Thanos in half at any moment? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. They use the portals more offensively in Doctor Strange. Right. Right. And then like less so in Endgame. Right. Um, I would imagine it's kind of like Captain Marvel where they're like, oh, shit, we have to limit this. Right, right. Yeah. Because if you if you let characters go full out, full tilt with whatever power they have, it probably won't work out so great uh, yeah. to keep the plot moving and keep it interesting. Right. Um, but it was just something that, like, I don't know. I just Yeah. It's something that's, like, hard to – I mean, it would have been as easy as uh, having one of the Black Order members use magic to stop magic or something, you know? I mean, Ma is a very talented magician, so I, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. But but I didn't really have that many problems with the film, to be honest. I didn't either. I'm going to see it again. I will probably find things that I love and maybe a couple of things that I didn't like. Um, I guess one thing that really shocked me was the they panned the camera down to Black Widow on mm-hmm. the ground in Vormir. Mm-hmm. And maybe they wanted to be like, no, she's really dead. Oh, yeah, the blood coming out of her head? Yeah, I was like, wow. So speaking of deaths, Black Widow died, died for real forever, yes. supposedly. Even though supposedly they're also making a Black Widow movie right now. And also Gamora's back, kind of. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. there's some time. The movie yeah, uses I time think, travel. You know, there's. I, I think in terms of Avengers movies that Black Widow's done for a while. If they do a movie, I feel like it'd probably be a prequel. Yes, I think that's true. Uh, yep. And then Iron Man died, obviously. Yes. And um, then Cap died. Three huge deaths. 
Yeah, Cap. Half half the Avengers Cap are now dead. Removed, Cap is removed from the chessboard. Right. Because he's uh, died of old age. Or he's gonna die and, of old age. And Vision is still dead. He is. Vision died before the snap. Right. So Vision is dead, dead. But he's also a robot. I don't know. That's kind of fishy there. I, I think he's dead. Um, which uh, well, which death affected think, you the most? I think Paul Bettany is going to put a lot of effort into WandaVision. Oh, for sure. And so they're not going to have him in the movies for a while. Um, and also Heimdall is still dead. Mm-hmm. A Loki, they got that loophole where he used the Tesseract to warp out. So yep. they got Loki back in. Yep. Um, a version of him. I kind of think like the only get away with that once. What's fascinating about Loki to me is it's a version of Loki that has yet to, you know, become good. True. He's still that dirtbag that attacked Manhattan. Yeah, that's true. Um, the death that affected me the most, Black Widows was the most unexpected. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, oh, holy shit. Um, that scene when they're fighting over it. Um, between her and Hawkeye and stuff. I, I, I truly did not expect it. I knew that it was going to be Black Widow once they got to Vormir. Right. But that, that scene really took an emotional toll on me. Yeah, the way um, she's like, it's okay. That I yeah. got so emotional at that point. I, I expected Iron Man to die. Yeah. So I did not. Because that's, that's the arc for him. Mm-hmm. To go from a selfish person to the sacrificial lamb. I was shocked. Right. Robert Downey Jr. has talked for years, like, I'm never giving this up. So, like, when that happened, yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Um, I thought that was very well done, but I think Black Widow's death surprised me and affected me the most. It made me sad, though, to see old Cap. Yeah. I know he had his happy ending, but, you know, it was the past. I want to see him kick more ass, man. That de-aging and... <laughs> Reaging makeup and CGI is crazy. Michael Douglas, holy crap! There's a yeah, moment where holy he shows up. Shit. He looks like he's 20 or holy shit, so that young. Crazy. The hair was perfect yeah. too for the 70s. Yeah. Oh, by the way, did you think Stanley's cameo was um, insulting? No. I saw Bleeding Cool say it was one of the more insulting Stanley cameos ever. I don't think so. I was just reading the other day, or just today, I think. Um, the Russos were talking about it and they were saying like, what would Stan Lee have looked like in the seventies? So they tried to capture his look and you know, Mm. he was a, I don't think he was a hippie per se, but he was definitely like a more open-minded person. So of course he's going to be like, you know, make love, not war. A beatnik. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, I think we've, I think we've aired all of our grievances and all of our positivity for the film. Yeah. I mean, obviously I could gush about it forever. Way too long (laughs) that, you know, you guys would be dead by the time we were done. Yeah, so we're not going to do that because we are a comics podcast. And speaking of comics, we want to talk about how this film was influenced by comics. And I'm not talking the obvious reasons, right? Like Infinity Gauntlet, we know how that connects to this film. Yeah. Put that all in a bucket that's like anything cosmic, obviously. So here are the things that we caught. I'm sure there are more, but the things we caught that connect directly to comic stories recently or semi-recently that were put into the film i think for for fans like us yeah i think so and uh or or in some cases almost direct adaptations true which we'll get to as well yeah the first being uh pepper potts uh and her rescue armor Mm -hmm. which i'm pretty sure fans have been screaming they want since iron man (laughs) one yeah it really seemed like it was going to happen in iron man three yeah so the payoff for this is awesome Mm -hmm. um the I I did some searching for this and the first appearance was in World's Most Wanted, um, storyline by Matt Fraction and Salvador La Roca, Invincible Iron Man number ten from two thousand and nine, which is interesting because the rescue armor, or sorry Iron Man one came out in two thousand eight, so it's right before, uh, this came right after the first movie came out. Yes, true. Um, the storyline here is really similar. Tony is building a suit for Pepper in the event that she ever needs it or that she ever needs to save his life or the event that he can't help her out. Um, and she stumbles upon it and uses it to help him. So and key, it's, it's pretty much exactly like the movie. Key word help, because up until the point uh, Matt Fraction created this iteration of an Iron Man armor, there was War Machine, and there were, which is filled with missiles, right? And then there's all these yep. armors that are very specifically used for different battles. But this armor in particular... It's more so to help people, not to fight. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, although she does have, I think, missiles in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, there are further iterations of the rescue armor throughout the comics, but I do think Gwyneth Paltrow is done. Oh, yeah. So um, I don't think that we're going to see any. This armor is the uh, Mark 1616, which if you know Marvel 616 universe, th- that's a nice little reference. It is nice. Um, I don't think that there's going to be future iterations of the rescue armor unless a different character is using it. Morgan, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that would be yeah. interesting. I, I'm sure. You know what? Even though Iron Man's dead, I think they're going to see another iteration of Iron Man someday in this yeah. in this timeline of the universe. I think so. Movie universe, yeah. I should say. Another big comic book thing that you know has been around actually for quite a while is Professor Hulk, the smart Bruce Banner, who's also always in Hulk form. No more changing, folks. Um, and forced. Th- thank you for putting these notes together. <laughs> no you uh, you wrote down that Incredible Hulk number 377 back in 1991, written by Peter David uh, with Dave Keown on art, uh, first featured this. Uh, since I just reviewed the What If uh, complete set, I have to say, I think the second issue of What If was, what if Hulk was smart? <laughs> Interesting. So it's something that they've been toying with for a long time. Um, this is a big divergence from the movie, this issue is. Because the comics have always been playing around or toying around with what if Hulk was smart, too. But also, like, his fractured personality. Like, there's Grey Hulk and Savage Hulk and all that other stuff, right? Right. And in the comic, in Hulk, Incredible Hulk number 377, this is the first time that all of the personalities are merged into one mm-hmm. controlled smart Hulk that is, quote, unquote, called Professor Hulk. Um, the MCU does not use that approach. It's really just Bruce and the one Hulk in the body. Right. Um, although I do think that with the door being opened where the Ancient One separated him from the Hulk's body for a while, mm-hmm. I think there's a possibility open there that they're going to start exploring different personalities for the Hulk. If it can be split like that, yeah. Yeah, an entirely different personhood for him. I felt more than ever that we are going to get another Hulk movie. Hmm. That'd be cool. At some point in the future. Do you think his arm is permanently burned up and shriveled? I, maybe it'll be about that. Hmm. I don't know. Um, Thanos' was still fucked up mm-hmm. at the beginning. And I also felt that his, his arc is certainly not over, right? Sure. Um, yeah, he's, now he's broken so, up about uh, Black Widow dying. Yeah. So, so... I thought they did a really great job with it, but I think there's a lot more to tell. It's kind of fascinating to think, like, we've been basically told by Marvel Studios that Hulk is, is like, at the age of what? Like, eight, ten? Mm-hmm. The emotional level? If you combine a ten-year-old with your current-aged maturity, <laughs> what happens? <laughs> I buy as many Pokemon cards as I still uh, am today. There you go. Maybe make... So, I don't Probably net nothing for me. You might for laugh... a lot of people. You might laugh harder yeah. at fart noises. Hmm. <laughs> I might laugh so hard I die. So huh. another yeah. big comic book thing that was in the movie, which we already kind of knew from the trailers, Ronan yes. uh, appeared, which was a, a character created back in 2007 by Brian Michael Bennis and Lionel Wu uh, in New Avengers number 27. At the time when that comic came out, well, no one knew who Ronan was. So it was this big mystery because he was masked. Uh, yeah. In this issue, there are two Ronins. And then one of them says... You can have the identity, Clint. Mm-hmm. And Clint reveals that he is Ronan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah, kind of a cool aspect. I mean, again, this is a good example of how the movies could inspire folks to want to read more comics because Ronan was around for a, quite a bit uh, doing some ninja work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no, there were no arrows, which is probably a big shock to the, f- <laughs> to the fans out there. I saw, I did see a joke that was like, when they went to Vormir, he could have just thrown his arrows and bow off the side. True. Um, it obviously doesn't have a soul. doesn't work that way, but I thought that was funny. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. What's the next one? What's the next big comic thing? The next one is a little bit of a stretch, but it was familiar enough to me, um, especially as a big fan of J. Michael Straczynski stuff. Um, the establishment of new Asgard um, in... The movie, it is in Norway, and specifically it's in the um, city or place in Norway where Red Skull finds the Tesseract, Mm -hmm. which I think is the reason that they did that. Mm 
but in the comics in a in a Thor series by J. Michael Straczynski, there's not necessarily a specific issue for this because it's kind of spread across a whole storyline. They uh, establish Asgard again, rebuild it in Oklahoma. But it's in a floating chunk of massive like asteroid or whatever floating over the land. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, you know, a- away from Asgard, mm-hmm. closer to Earth. On Midgard. Closer- yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so that that felt familiar to me, kind of a hiding in plain sight type thing. I wrote uh, an article about where we might go from here, uh, which is obviously filled with spoilers at aiptcomics.com. But in that, I was kind of thinking maybe Valkyrie uh, could get a show or or, or even a, mov- a movie devoted to her being the, I guess she's yeah, king, she's right? She's great. She is, yeah. Can I just she's ask great. you, I don't really understand how kings work, but you can't just go up to someone and be like, you're king now. <laughs> that does not that's not how it works i mean i mean the king it depends on what the authority of the king has yeah i suppose yeah but it's supposed to be blood related right oh i don't think so i guess kings get uh you know toppled and new kings take over. yeah right yeah you can abdicate the throne i think you can in asgard as well oh yeah true yeah he did so casually too i like which that. is what he did yeah yeah yeah, I was curious if he's going to go down to New Asgard and be like, Valkyrie's the king, or if she's just going to be like, Thor's gone, I'm king. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. How, how are they going to, yeah. like, there could be a power struggle there. Yeah. Uh, and the next bit of comic book connections to Avengers Endgame, uh, there's a scene where Cap enters an elevator, and we're all like, oh my god, he's going to kick their ass like we've seen before. <laughs> and he knows firsthand that they're all Hydra agents, because he's now in the past. It's like a uh, time travel moment. And he whispers in someone's ear. Hail Hydra. And they're like, oh, shoot. He knows. So he must he be an, an agent, which we all know from Nick Spencer's uh, Secret Empire. He was a Hydra agent uh, in a crazy twist where reality was altered. Captain America becomes a Hydra. Like, basically, their king, their president, or whatever you call it. Yeah, president. I guess um, in the comics, the secret empire series um, red skull uses the cosmic cube, which is the equivalent to the Tesseract cubic in the, in the movies, which ends up being a little uh, girl. <laughs> it's complicated guys. It's comic books. Um, and he, he warps reality so that Steve has always been a Hydra. Agent. What a dick. Yeah. Rather than making him like a Hydra agent at that point in time, he makes it so that he has always been a Hydra agent. So it doesn't affect um, any of the stories we've read before, but the whole time when he was a hero, he was really a villain. Yes. That's messed up, man. Um, not exactly <laughs> a direct reference, I would say. Yeah, no. But this seems to be the one that a lot of sites grabbed onto right away. It's a very controversial um, story, Secret Empire. Right, yeah. So I think it, it's hard to resist the urge to write a headline that just says, Endgame references most controversial Captain America storyline. You know, like the people writing those stories were, were like, how can I do a title where it's like Avengers Endgame confirms Cap a Nazi? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and it's kind of like, uh, it's not like they're really toying with the idea that by him pretending or saying Hail Hydra that he's unworthy anymore when he holds the hammer later or anything. Like, yeah, it doesn't actually do anything. No. But I, I, I would say that it was probably an intentional reference. We didn't mention it, but he says Hail Hydra so that he can uh, get one of the Infinity Stones and bugger off without fighting. Yes, and then ends up fighting himself. Which is pretty epic. Yeah, that was probably one of my favorite bits when uh, past Cap said, I can do this all day. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and he's sick of it. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I know, I know. And I have to say, like, we don't have a reference to a comic that, that happened, but in comic books, typically, we see heroes fighting themselves in some format. Yeah, so that, that... Yeah. That was a nice <laughs> nod to comic books, I think. That was one of those things where I was like, this feels like a comic book. Mm-hmm, yep. Uh, and then uh, next up, we uh, obviously Cap wielding Mjolnir is a huge, huge moment. He's 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 wielded Mjolnir a few times in history, most recently in Secret Empire where he was mm-hmm. evil and everyone was like, wait, he's evil. How could he be holding it? We're all, you know, we should just give up. Mm-hmm. But of course in the movie, he's wielding it in the most epic, awesome way. Yeah. Um, so he does wield it as evil in Secret Empire. And then most recently in Secret Empire number 10, 
written by Nick Spencer with art by Steve McNiven. He wields it as a good guy mm-hmm. um, against evil Cap. It gets really confusing. <laughs> Steve-el. There's Steve-el uh, and then there's Steve-el. Steve Rogers. <laughs> yeah. Who's, yeah. He's still around in the comics, isn't he? He's still in jail. Yes. They, they have to scar his face or something so it's easier for us. Yeah. Um, Cap has held the hammer, however, throughout the comics five times, which is a, a lot less than I expected. Yeah. Going through, I expected that to be like a thing that they did frequently. But I also think that writers have a certain amount of reverence for what is a specific character's weapon, mm-hmm. um, especially when it's as like lauded and as reverential as Mjolnir. Um, and so it's it's got to be like a cool big moment when Cap does it, right? Right. Um, as as much so as it was in the movie, which I think was both you and I's in our top three moments. Oh yeah. Um, the first time, however, was in Thor number 390, written by Tom DeFalco with art by Ron Friends. Epic moment. Um, much like in the comics, I think the movies have done a good job of showing how in Avengers Age of Ultron, Cap, uh, the, all the heroes were kind of drinking and partying or whatever. And they were like, oh, let's see who can lift the Mjolnir. And every hero couldn't, obviously, but Cap made it move, what, a millimeter yeah, and it cuts to Thor, yeah. and he's like, oh, "It's like his ego is going to be destroyed because <laughs> he thinks he's better yeah. than everybody." And, it's just, and I think uh, that the fact that he didn't lift it at that moment is a sign that Cap didn't want to hurt Thor's uh, ego. Mm. But in this moment yeah. against Thanos, with Thor like literally on the ground about to be murdered, what's a man to do but pick up another man's hammer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and next up, in a moment where I actually thought of this because a guy behind me squealed a force when this happened when the movie uh there's a moment in the big battle scene in the third act all of the female heroes still alive uh all kind of stand together and the camera sort of pans over and we see them all standing like ready to strike or run at the villain uh it's a very heroic moment it's a it's a girl power moment yes and a force which is a a comic written by g willow wilson and marguerite bennett with art by Chim Chung, among others, um, as the series went on, was an uh, all-girl team. It obviously had team members that aren't in the Marvel Universe yet, like She-Hulk, but a bunch of them are on that team. So it, it did feel like, oh, wow. we could. And there's been talk, I think, for a few months of an all-female uh, superhero team, I think. Am I wrong about that? I think, I, I think I'm right. It happens in my dreams every night. <laughs> and not in a gross way. I, I realize that sounds weird, but... <laughs> in, 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 I didn't in the think sense that. I didn't think it was weird. In, well, good. Um, I didn't mean it that way at all. In the sense that, like, that was the hypest shit. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yep. Like, they are some of the strongest characters. For sure. In the movies, mm-hmm. as well as in the comics. Um, Man, it was so, so cool. And I'm sure there are some dork-ass nerds online that are mad about it. I'm not going to seek that out. Yeah, as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, these alt-right bitches are going to be annoyed. Yeah. Although I will say my girlfriend thought it was a bit forced when we were walking out. She was like, that was a bit much. I was like, what are you, you talking know, about? That was sick. You know what? <laughs> if it takes a scene like that that feels a little bit forced mm-hmm. for people that have historically not been represented in these movies yeah. to kind of get the recognition and representation that they want or that they should have had from the beginning, mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. You know, it might it might actually inspire a movie eventually because uh, Disney will see reaction, uh, right? And then they'll potentially yeah. fill that supply and demand, right? Oh, I want right. we want an all girl superhero team or woman, I should say, superhero team. Yes. In the last big, big, big comic book connection, um, near the end of the movie, Captain America went back in time with Mjolnir, by the way, which is still killing me. Where the hell is Mjolnir? He shows back up. Uh, he's supposed to show back up immediately within three seconds with no time passed, but instead he doesn't come back. And then we see him sitting on a bench old. Well, we see an old man sitting on a bench with the shield and Falcon Sam Wilson walks up and talks to this old man. And it's Captain America. He didn't go back in time. He stayed back in time. Oh my God. We're all crying. You're not crying. I'm crying. Um, <laughs> and hands Falcon the shield and basically says, you're now Captain America. Which we see in Secret Secret Empire again, uh, which was called Captain America Sam Wilson, 
which yes. in that comic series, as we know, we just talked about, Captain America is a Hydra agent. And Sam, uh, Cap's big teammate for the longest time, takes the shield, still has the wings, but goes out there and calls himself Captain America. And this was a controversial comic when it came out. I remember Fox News even reported on how they made Captain America black. Uh, and that was disgusting. Uh, I'm curious if people are going to react. I, first of all, I'm curious. We all know that there's going to be a show coming out from Disney Plus called Falcon and Winter Soldier. Are they going to change the title to Captain America and Winter Soldier? I will eat my hat if they don't. Yeah. I mean, it's like a gimme, right? Yeah. Were you pumped for that scene? I thought it was rad. I thought it was super awesome when Falcon was flying around and, like, killing aliens with his wings. Oh, like stabbing them? And stuff. Yeah. yeah. So I think, like, if he keeps the wings and the shield, super cool. Because obviously they can have Bucky around, too. Sure. Um, I know a lot of people thought it was going to be Bucky because that is what happens in the comics chronologically first. Right, after Cap dies, yeah. Yeah. But um, this feels right to me. Yep. Um, Bucky is troubled. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that he's in a position right now to be Cap. Right. Um, and he knows that. Um, but Sam, as much as he doesn't expect to be Cap, I think also knows that he has it within himself to kind of catalyze the same things that Steve does and also do it in his own way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm curious. I doubt it. But I'm curious if Marvel Studios does something with old Steve Rogers. Because, hmm. again, in the comics, Steve, there's a point where he actually loses his um, superhero serum-like powers and becomes right. the correct age and look of what he should be. And he ends, ends up being like a team leader. They could do that, but I have a feeling Chris Evans is super done with this. I think he is done. Yeah. Um, maybe he'll feature in one of the one if, What If episodes. That'd be cool. But I think he's done. Uh, apparently he's done uh he's he's been cap i saw this on reddit he's been cap every year uh since the since the beginning i think yeah because he was in like thor um dark world yeah. uh pretend he was loki pretending to be cap stuff like that he's been in a, yeah. more than anyone i think well and he was in homecoming doing the so you got detention right. yep. stuff yep. and yeah so chris that's a long time chris evans has been in a lot of these yeah so to end our show, we're just going to talk about a bunch of little things that we noticed that were in the comics that were also in uh, Avengers Endgame. Yes. Kick it off, Forrest. I did a, I did a whole bunch of fact-finding. I did a bunch of stuff that I noticed. Um, let's see here. In the opening scene, or kind of like early opening scene, there's that support group. Um, got beef with Russo. Don't got beef with this. Jim Starlin, the creator of Thanos, Gamora, and Drax... Um, comic book writer, pretty lauded comic book writer, pretty cool, um, is there in the group as well. Awesome. He's like he's like going to speak when the scene cuts, if you're looking for him. Nice. Um, he looks exactly like the singer of Judas Priest. <laughs> so if you're looking for who it is, it's him. Um, next, this one, I've seen some rumbling about this, the same way that Age of Ultron hinted about Wakanda. Um, Okoye gives... Black Widow, a report about earthquakes under the sea floor. Mm. Um, and a lot of people seem to think that that is hinting at Namor. I thought that as well. And then there's this, it, there's a moment actually where um, Black Widow's like, should we do something? And Okoye's like, it's an earthquake. We don't do anything. Yeah, right. And it's like, wait a minute. That's a little extra time that's deserved of that of a moment like that, unless it means something. Right. Um, so I think it's likely. I think it would be pretty cool. Atlantis seems like a good next movie or next threat. Definitely a whole other element or realm. Right, yeah. And And Namor is obviously like uh, a little bit more morally gray and vicious than a lot of the other heroes. And Aquaman made a billion dollars. (laughs) The real reason I will see Namor. And I I didn't think it was that good. So, yeah. Um, I I only just saw it yesterday and I did not think it was great. Well, after you've seen Avengers, I, I mean... I would love to see a Marvel take on that. For sure. Um, In the scene when they go back to the military complex and they steal the pin Particles and the Tesseract, um, Ant-Man's original helmet is in Pym's lab. An ugly, ugly metal. (laughs) (laughs) Scrap metal with antennas and stuff. But a lot of people didn't seem to get that in my theater. Oh. 
like it they panned past that and i was like <gasps> and like nobody else did that dude when there's a close-up surprised of, me when there's a close-up of mjolnir i was like yes no one said yeah. anything and then the next shot with cap holding it they were all like what and i was like dude yeah you are no, slow i definitely knew it was Cap. <laughs> yeah um carol's haircut is kind of a gimme but in the beginning of the movie she has the longer hair um the end of the movie she has the shorter kind of crop haircut so now we've That's seen yeah sorry yeah, that's the haircut she has in the comics. Like, and we've also seen the, the mohawk now. So we've almost seen all of her haircuts. Yes, um, which is awesome. She has a bunch of great iconographic looks. And I, I felt like they've kind of nailed all of them now. Yeah. Um, Hulk holding up the mountain of rubble. So in kind of what I thought was the only unrealistic scene in the whole movie, mm-hmm. th- there was only one part in the movie that made me feel like, no, that wouldn't happen. Um, when Thanos launches the attack on the Avengers base, they they show a missile making point blank contact with Ant-Man's chest. He should have been dead. And then he's fine? Yeah. That was like the only time when I could not suspend my disbelief. I had the same problem, yeah. Um, but regardless, shortly after that, Hulk is holding up with one arm, mind you, an entire like base of rubble to protect uh, War Machine and Rocket, which is very reminiscent of Secret Wars. Number four. Number four, yep. yeah. There's a cover where Hulk is holding up like the top of a mountain mm-hmm. um, and everybody else is kind of like squashed into this little tunnel. Yep. Um, it reminded me of that almost immediately because I, I do like Secret Wars. I especially like all the covers given that the symbiote suit is like my favorite thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, early on in the movie, when in, in that same scene when she's getting the debriefing from Okoye and War Machine and stuff, um, Scar Jo, Black Widow, she has her feet up on the desk, and she's wearing ballet shoes. Bum, bum, bum. They referenced her kind of Red Room ballet training in Age of Ultron, like briefly, kind of, sort of. It is a much bigger plot point in the comics um, that she... Part of the reason that she can do all the stuff she does is because she's, like, classically ballet trained. Mm-hmm. Um, but also as an assassin. I thought that that was cool. I don't think putting on ballet shoes and walking around in them would be comfortable. <laughs> That's good. But, that is a bit odd. But I thought that that was a cool reference. Um, Cap, in the same scene when they go back to the military base and Tony is speaking with his father and stuff... Um, Cap is wearing a name tag that says Roscoe. That is a reference to a character named Roscoe Simons who took on the mantle of Captain America and then was killed and displayed by Red Skull. So it's all Cap's fault because he wore his uniform that one time. (laughs) I guess you could say that. Um, Towards the end of the movie when Thor and Peter are kind of quipping at each other, Thor, uh, Peter says Guardians of the Galaxy, and Thor says as Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. which is a comic book recent. Very recent, yeah. 20, 2010s, I think. So it's um, uh, more recent than that, right? Or unless they rebooted it. I forget. Um, I think that they did reboot yeah. it. Um, but it seemed like a direct reference to the series at the very least. Honestly, if they're dangling Thor being with the Guardians, they better pull that off or if, if if guardians 3 opens with thor like being dropped off at a 7-eleven in space everyone's gonna be like oh yeah i yeah i kind of feel two ways about it i guess i'm pretty excited about it i think um both chris hemsworth and chris pratt have way better energy against each other than i thought they would yeah um infinity war proved that um like dave batista and thor mm-hmm. is also great mm-hmm. Um, and obviously him and Rocket kind of have this inseparable bond now. You mean Rabbit. Rabbit, yes. <laughs> um, which was a reference as well, a movie-to-movie reference, where when they're chasing Rocket with the pin particles, one of them says, the rabbit, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was funny. Um, but, yeah, it kind of seems like they got Thor really integrated in that team. True. The most obvious way to do that would be to reference these comics. They might only do it in name, I guess. Right. But we'll see. Um, this is a weird one that I did not see myself, but I did see in articles and stuff after the fact. 
in the final battle, when all of the Ravagers come through the portal to the right of Cap, so like everyone from the cosmic universe is kind of pouring into the right of him, behind all of the Ravagers, you can see Howard the Duck. Man, who last appeared in Guardians 2, right? Uh, is he in Guardians 2? He's at the, uh, he's in the end credit scene. I thought that was Guardians 1. Is it Guardians 1? I could be wrong. Yeah, Guardians 1 Guardians with 1. the Collector. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, but he showed up to fight. I don't know what his <laughs> fighting abilities are, aside from being a duck. Duck, uh, duck, uh, what are they called? Um, puns, duck puns. I, I guess. <laughs> Did that look like a cartoon? <laughs> um... Yeah, maybe that's it. I don't know. I didn't see that, but you can definitely see it. I feel uh, like he was only there because Marvel was like, let's get every character we can into this, yeah, this scene. Yeah, for sure. I would wonder if there's more like that. Um, plenty of se- people seem to reference, pick up the Howard the Duck one, though. And then this one is maybe a little bit tenuous at best. Um, uh, there is a series called Cosmic Ghost Rider written by Donnie Cates where um, the whole plot line is around Cosmic Ghost Rider, the um, maddened Frank Castle, going back in time to kill baby Thanos. And uh, I've seen some articles say that they're referencing that when Rhodey suggests just going back in time and killing baby Thanos. Yeah, it's probably a stretch because everyone has had the conversation of, if you could go back in time, would you kill Hitler? Yes. So it's probably it's probably more because of that, but it is kind of a cool idea to think that the Russos were thinking about Cosmic Ghost Rider when they wrote that dialogue. Yeah, I mean, you can get that out of it if you want. Sure. Right? Sure. Like sure. Yeah. I think Donnie Case wants to. In fact, we should have a Disney Plus show called Cosmic Ghost Rider where we see that happen and of course it'll all fall to shit and not work out. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the very end, War Machine shows up and is like, "See, nah. See, this is I was going to do this, but I, bad idea, man." This is uh, this is why it doesn't work. Right, right. I told you that. Right. <laughs> or actually, I didn't. A friend told me that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, those are all the things I picked up. I'm sure there are thousands more. Mm-hmm. These are things specifically related to the comics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there are tons of movie into movie references. Right. Um, I was going very specifically for the like. Oh shit. Mm-hmm. Someone somewhere read that run, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Which is the kind of stuff that, again, like the payoff is so different for such different groups of fans. For sure, yeah. Um, The movie feels entirely different for you and I than it does for someone whose first movie was the first Cap. Right, and it's more layered because of the movies. Yeah, I think it is. So this is the end of our show. If you go to our Simplecast post for this or to the article on AIPTcomics.com, uh, we'll list off everything we just said, uh, including all the uh, comic book storylines that we referenced. So if you ever wanted to pick up any of these stories, uh, you can get all the details right there and go read some more and see how the movie was inspired by comic books. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, Dave, I know you also wrote a like kind of where do we go from here article. Yes. You want to put that in for the people? Talk about it or? Or just link it. Oh, yeah, sure. That'll be there, just too. Just make sure they got get, get the access. Yeah, I talk about uh, the three Disney Plus shows that we already know about. I talk about Hawkeye and how there might be a show there. And also, like, what does this mean for Captain Marvel? I mean, we've basically seen her as a police officer, a space police officer. And, you know, that's going to open up the universe. We know their Eternals yep. is coming, that, that new movie uh, with Angelina Jolie. I can't wait for a trailer of that because I have no idea what that'll be like. <laughs> I will say, I wish this movie did have a, and it, obviously if you're this far away through the show, you know this is a spoiler show, but there is no end credit scene. I wanted mm. like a moment where like we're like looking at a weird alien planet and then we slowly see Galactus like floating into a bike past it or something. I have seen a lot of people say that they think Galactus is the next one. Yeah. I think it's too similar. To Thanos. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like, it's this deep space entity that has a weird code and wants to destroy civilizations. Yeah. Um, I, I also feel like if you go to Galactus next, the power creep becomes kind of untenable. Mm-hmm. 
Like, Galactus is the end-all, be-all, aside from, like, the Celestials. Right. Right? So, if they do Galactus next, and I think that they will do Galactus at some point in time, then there's the likelihood that a, a less talented writer or less talented director will end up making it seem too much like Thanos. And that the next phase, because you're thinking all the way up to like 2030 at this point, right? won't have anywhere to go. So what do you think, Dr. Doom? Yes, mm-hmm. I do. Because <laughs> they've already Actually. done Ultron. Yeah, they, they have. It's funny, um, like a character like Ultron could have been one of these villains, these big time build up villains, but they kind of threw him away, I feel like. Yeah, I'd, that is in the bottom three for me in terms of ranking all these movies. Right. I don't care for that movie at all. It has its moments for me, but as a as a whole, it's it's pretty weak. Um, I I do think Doctor Doom is likely. I think also Namor could be a good villain. Um, I think Namor will probably be like a interstitial villain, kind of like Loki or Ultron, mm-hmm. and then Doom will be like the end of phase villain, maybe. Um, I think that they can do something really similar to Wakanda where Latveria has been this hidden nation um, and Doom comes and is like, you failed to protect Earth. It's my turn. The interesting thing about Doom and Galactus, I feel, is you can't do them without the Fantastic Four. You just can't. Right. Yeah. And also, I think that either of them gives a good entry point for the Fantastic Four and maybe even the X-Men. Right. It's, I was, that was my next thought. If, if, if they do start to integrate mutants... I could see the Dark Phoenix being a big bad to build up to as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And then we get to see Wolverine be the Dark Phoenix, and we get to see Cyclops be the Dark Phoenix, and we get mm-hmm. to see Aunt May be the Dark Phoenix. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cosmic Ghost Rider, maybe. Yeah. They better yeah. they better lock down Tom Hiddleston for like 40 movies, because they're going to need Spider-Man all the way through. <laughs> uh, Tom Holland. Tom Holland, sorry. Yeah, I think they got Tom Hiddleston locked down too, though. Yeah, at least for this new show. Yeah, I think I I would put my money on Doom mm-hmm. because it is similar to Wakanda, but evil. It follows up on the same kinds of problems that they had in Civil War, where it's like, how do you police the world? Right. And three, I think that it might be very interesting to do a kind of espionage thing where it's like but he has political immunity right what do we do right i think you'd have to integrate cosmic something though in order to pull the rest of the universe in you know oh yeah i think they might they'll probably do surfer before they do galactus of course and then it's like you have doom and you have surfer and that those bad fantastic four movies are back Mm mm-hmm (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. And it's like, does the MCU just want to do them again, but better? Let me tell you, AIPTcomics.com has the insider tip. I recently interviewed Anthony Kerrigan, who is a character in a new show, our uh, second season of a show called Barry at HBO. And he said he's going to play Silver Surfer. Huh? No, he said he wants to play Silver Surfer. Sorry. Oh, he said <laughs> <laughs> those are two totally different Listen, I'm, it's called clickbait for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, huh. I could see, I, I think that I could see like Doom, like, um, kidnaps Silver Surfer or something and like drains his cosmic energy and then like yeah. that creates a whole like you know universe uh, you know red alert yeah I also do wonder if they didn't bring Adam Warlock in mm. because they want him to be a villain mm-hmm. um, and he's kind of always been both he's got a weird code of ethics mm-hmm. yeah, for and sure. they definitely avoided him for from Infinity Gauntlet and Infinity War, most likely because they have a different idea for him. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, this is the perfect time to bring him in, right? Right. Because, like, they're missing Mephisto, and who could also be great. They're missing Mephisto. They're missing Dormammu. Silver Surfer. Dormammu. They already did Dormammu, didn't they? They did Dormammu, but he could come back. Yeah. Um, they're missing Mephisto and Adam Warlock, right. are the big ones from this adaptation, right? Yeah, Infinity Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And so... Silver Surfer will probably be tied directly into Galactus. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. But Warlock can kind of just show up whenever. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very realistic that Captain Marvel might be like, hey, guys, 
Um, someone's someone's pretty PO'd that you upset the whole balance of the universe as he sees it. Mm. Yeah, speaking of which, uh, after Endgame, uh, half the universe zaps back into existence after five what? years. That's going to create right. a lot of unrest. Yeah. yeah, also, I'm not one to be bothered by plot holes. Mm-hmm. or anything mm-hmm. i'm already tired of all the articles that are like this is the definitive description of the timeline mm-hmm. the endless inception clickbait drives me insane mm-hmm. all of the the last jedi articles and stuff it's exhausting y'all right talk about the movie talk about the acting talk about the artistry of it not the math and science i don't know i find it boring but did Peter Parker have to go back to school after five years? Yeah. That was weird. You know, uh, Rob Reed, one of our writers at aptcomics.com, in, in our Avengers-only spoiler, spoiler channel, we were talking, and he said, what if, this is kind of interesting, Mysterio in the new movie, what if he is like he was like a friend of Peter's, but, you know, obviously he wasn't snapped, and then he went the wrong way. It's kind of an interesting theory. Yeah. Obviously his best friend was snapped as well because he would be in college now (laughs) yeah but yeah it's kind of a fascinating idea to think about how they do stories going forward because it's almost like i mean it's not equivalent to 9-11 but it was a moment where everyone was watching like jfk being assassinated everyone was snapped and then everyone was snapped back that's a lot of emotional toil on on all of humanity Mm -hmm. and all the characters Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that they did a really good job of setting up a lot of stories and a lot of room to go for forward with. Yep. Um, and I guess that's kind of where my thoughts end. <laughs> yeah. Is like, I can't possibly tell them what to do from here. Right. But they did a great job of getting me on the hook again. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of our show, our special on Avengers Endgame, the comics take. I hope you enjoyed it. Please like, follow, subscribe, review, whatever. Tell your friends about it. Uh, We do this show every Sunday. This is a special case where it's during the week. But every Sunday we post our podcast and um, talk about all the comics of the week and the week ahead in comics and as well as comic book news. And we give our take just as we did for this movie. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you guys very much. Bye. See ya.